Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. good to see you guys. If you guys got your Bibles, head over to John chapter 8. John 8 is where we're going to be this weekend. And uh, man, uh, hey guys, um, if you were here last week, you know this. Um, we have some things that, like we need to celebrate as a church body. And so before I move into anything, um, I always want to do this because I, I just have a, a really deep belief that what we never want to do as a church is start treating things that are holy like they're common. Uh, but because when we stop, stop celebrating those things, what, what you celebrate, you cultivate, and whatever we fail to celebrate as a church will eventually leave our lives. And so, man, last week, uh, I am just uh, honestly just overjoyed. Um, last week, we had more than 40,000 people join with us uh, in worship, both in person and online. It was awesome. Yeah, it's great. But man, honestly, like that, you know, that's really cool. I love that so much. That's really cool. A lot of you guys are first time. That's great. But honestly, here, the whole reason this thing exists is to see people far from God uh, develop a relationship with Jesus. So here's the number that I, that I left like worshiping over. Last week, 2,323 people began a relationship with Jesus in one week. That's right, man. Come on. We want to celebrate that. And, um, Dude, uh, man, I, you know, just pulls worship out of my heart. And um, Matt, let, let me just do this real quick. If you are one of those people who, like, last week you were a, a, a check B person and you crossed the line of faith for the first time, man, let, let me just say this. Uh, most important decision you ever made. And, man, the people that you just heard cheer for you, they, they, that's your family now. We're your family. Like, we're in, man. Like, this is our, you are part of one big dysfunctional family is what you got. And, uh, and I do just want to say this, is that, man, um, last week what you did is you did not just receive Jesus as a Savior to remove your sins. You knelt your knee to him as a Lord to free you from those same sins. And so the, what Jesus does is the first thing he asks you to do if you're following him, he says, hey, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to be baptized so that you can like publicly let people know like I'm coming out as a Christian almost. Like this is who I am. This is my identity. This is what I want you to call me, how I want you to know me. And, and I, I do just kind of want to say this, that, that baptism is a visible, real, a visible expression of an invisible reality. So it's almost like, like a wedding ring, like true story. Third Easter service last week, I got this little silicone workout band. It broke right before the service. I'm sitting next to Jan, and I'm like, babe, my, my ring broke. She said, you're drawing one on. That's what she said. And so like, for real, I just drew one. And, and here's the deal. I, I want you to know that you may have prayed that prayer across the line of faith, and you're like, man, I just kind of want my faith to stay private. That's like just between me and God. Well, like, I want you to imagine is if every time I left the house, I told Jana, hey, I'm going to take my ring off because our relationship is just between you and me. Eventually, Jana, after she gouged out my eyes, eventually, Jana, what she would do is she would say, hey, like, hey, well, why don't you want anybody to know? 
And I just want to say that to you, man, that like Jesus loves you so much that he was ready to die for you. And if that's something you're going, I just want to keep that private, God's going, well, why don't you want anybody to know? And so the first thing he's calling you to do is, is to be baptized as an expression of his lordship. So here's what I want you to do. We got this coming up in just a few weeks. Baptism Sunday, like we just mentioned, April 29th through 30th. And listen, you're not going to be the only one. Like in one weekend, we will baptize hundreds of brand new followers of Jesus in one week. So like we're all going to be celebrating, man. It's like those are for real like my two favorite weeks of the year. So here's what I want you to do if that's you. If you would just text the word LIFE to 20411, text LIFE20411. One of our pastors is gonna get in touch with you and kind of help you and, and walk you through that. And uh, it's gonna be awesome, man. We can't wait to celebrate with you. All right, well, hey, here's where I need to get at it because today um, we are starting a series that, uh, honestly, I've been studying for, for, I don't know, about six months and there's a pretty heavy emotional burden for this. And I'm excited about it. Now, um, in order for me to, the title of the series is Controversial Jesus. That's the title of the series, Controversial Jesus. Caveat at the beginning of the series. Both the title of the series, and not as much this week, but maybe in future weeks, a lot of the content comes from, um, honestly, one of my favorite Bible teachers in America, a pastor named John Tyson in New York City, who's going to be preaching at Lake Point later this year. Um, here, I want to encourage you to find his teaching by every book that he has and take it all in. He's literally one of my favorite Bible teachers in America. So I just, there's a caveat. A lot of this is coming from Pastor John. Now, I want to lead into the series like this. Um, when I was younger, I don't think they do this as much anymore. Um, when I was younger, sometimes uh, my family would go to this, uh, it was a little amusement park in, in Nashville called Opryland. And I don't know if they do this as much anymore, but there would be an artist there, and the artist would be drawing what were called, still are called, caricatures of people who were willing to pay like the $10 or whatever. Now, um, I just, I needed to show you a caricature and I'm not gonna show you the caricature of me in middle school. And so I'm gonna show you some, some, cari- some artistic caricatures of like famous people. Now, I'm doing this to make a point. I want you at all of, our, all of our campuses, when I ask you, I want you to tell me who the caricature is of, all right? Now, the first one is showing my age. So it's going to have to be like all my millennials and up are going, are going to get in on this. So who is this one right here? Kimmy, who is that? Jay Leno, right? The chin. The chin. You can see it. All right? That's Jay Leno. Now, all over here, they're like, I have no idea who that is. Who is that guy? They, they don't know that. All right. Now, next one. <laughs> you're, you're going to get this one. Who is it? Just tell me. Just tell me. President Trump. That is President Trump. The hair. The hair. All right? Now, next one, uh, I, you know, I'm not moralizing any of these. I'm just showing you people, all right? So you tell me, who is this guy right here? Who is that? Snoop. Now, they knew that one. We're going to have a talk. That's a joke. Y'all knew that one, Snoop, all right? So are you noticing this theme? It was the chin, the hair, the facial structures. Now, pop, pop quiz, who is this one? Who is this one right here? Oh, actually, well, who's, it's our teaching pastor. Here it is, our te- Mike Bro. is who that is, okay? <laughs> now, I've been waiting on that. Now, I do want you to know, I want you to know this. I texted Pastor Mike, and I asked him if it was okay to tell that joke. A, he said yes, and B, then he sent me this. He said, bald lives matter. That's what he said. <laughs> so I, I just want to get that out there. Now, now, that's a caricature. Now, are you noticing this? Here's what a caricature is. When an artist caricatures something, what they do is they'll exaggerate some characteristics of a person and they'll either like minimize or eliminate other char- uh, uh, characteristics of a person for a desired effect. 
So exaggerate some characteristics. Minimize or eliminate other characteristics for a desired effect. Now, let me land the plane and get into additional, a, a different emotional gear. My fear is that this is what many people do with Jesus who claim to follow him. That there are aspects of Jesus that we tend to exaggerate and blow up really, really big and depict This is a huge part of following Jesus. And then other aspects of Jesus that we tend to downplay, minimize, silence, or honestly even deny. And very frankly, a lot of times the reason that we do this is because we're trying to, listen, selectively edit a picture of Jesus that will be palatable to the world and the people around us. This is what it means to caricature Christ rather than than to present Christ as the character of the living God. Now, what I want to say here is that I just need to lean in and remind us, guys, Jesus is a Lord. He is not a mascot. That when we come to Jesus, what we do is we submit our agendas to him as Lord. We do not ask him to become a mascot for our agendas because he is a Lord and he is not a mascot. So as we come into this, here's what what I want to do is I want to, in this series, lean in to a lot of these things that they're a little more controversial. The aspects of Jesus that are extremely biblical, but that there is an internal tendency to want to like downplay, minimize, avoid, deny these aspects of the teaching of Jesus, and we end up with a character. So we're we're just going to lean in. I'm going to tell you exactly where we're going in this series so that you have a heads up. During this, not in this particular order, we'll hit Jesus, women, and leadership. We'll hit Jesus and the sexual revolution. Jesus and politics. I'm doing that way before 2024. We're going to get Jesus and and religion and Jesus and mammon. Now, I just also want to say this. So, Pastor Josh, why are you doing this series? Why would you do this? Like, you're going to do that for five weeks. I'll see you in six. You know, that kind of thing. Well, here's why I'm doing this. Very frankly, I'll just give you one reason. It's because, guys, our culture is not silent on these issues, so it's unwise for me to be silent about them as a pastor. They're like, what, what we've got to do, that's right, listen, thank you. We've got to, li- now, you're clapping now. You might not be when I teach them, okay? That what we've got to understand, this is like a mantra. You hear it from me all the time. That, Guys, if the church won't disciple people, the world will. And I, what my job as a pastor is to, A, to tell you the truth, to declare the whole counsel of God when it's in season and when it's out of season so that I can create resilient disciples who are in the midst of a world that is trying to mold you into its pattern. But our job is to be counterformed, not into the pattern of this world, but into the character of Jesus. And so we're going to lean into all these things, and we're going to do it. I'm giving away part of the sermon later. We're going to do it with grace and with truth. So let's lean in now. In order to, here's the whole purpose of this week one sermon. My working theory is that you as a follower of Jesus will not have an open heart for the rest of the series unless you understand this, title of the sermon, Jesus and Controversy. That's the title of this sermon, Jesus and Controversy. So we're going to lean into this together. Now, let me just make this point that I don't think is tremendously surprising to many people. As you look around at our culture, what you're going to notice right now is that it seems that following Jesus faithfully and publicly is increasingly more controversial. I'll give you, if you if, listen, if you don't believe me, I honestly don't know how I can help you. I'll just give you one example of this. The picture I'm getting ready to show you is an actual picture of downtown New York City in 1956, all right? So that's for real, just take this in. 
That's downtown New York City in 1956. Now, anybody got that happening again in 2024 on your uh, bingo card? Anybody got that? I didn't think so. Like, we're probably not expecting to see that happen. Now, by God's grace, maybe. But that's not what we're expecting. Now, here's what's happening. What I feel like is happening to a lot of Christians, especially like generations above me. Let me say it like this. It's almost like the people of Israel who woke up in Israel and then found themselves just a few years later in exile in Babylon. And what I mean by that is like there was this one generation of Christians or of the people of God in Israel in the Old Testament who at one point in their life, they were in Israel. So the word, worship, and ways of God, they were respected, they were memorialized. This was actually like cultural pressure in this direction. And then through a series of events, God took those people uh, out of, honestly, discipline, brought them into Babylon, and then within one generation, they went from, I I started in, in a nation where the word, worship, and ways of God were respected, and now I ended up in a nation where the word, worship, and ways of God were actually like stigmatized, looked down upon, and some parts of them even outlawed. So I'll just say this, I'm 39 years old, I'm 39 years old, just in my lifetime, I have seen Christians in general go from like, man, Christian leaders were respected to then different era of my life is like, okay, not, they're not respected. Christians are just kind of weird. And then different era of my life, uh, you know, Christians, they're, they're kind of stupid. And then now what you're seeing more and more, especially in the public square, is that Christians, honestly, they're dangerous. So it went respected, weird, stupid, dangerous. Now, in the next three minutes of this sermon, heads up, I'm going to be like a little more intellectual, a little more heady than usual. If that's not your thing, hang out with me for three minutes. We'll get back to you, okay? So I want to explain how did we get, just some some cultural realities, how did we get from where we were to where we are? Let me just say uh, a couple things. Number one, let me show you a chart that came out in the Wall Street Journal like two or three weeks ago that was shocking to people. Here's what this is. This was a survey that depicted people's attitudes towards different values and the change in those values over the course of 25 years. So from 1998 to 2023. Now here's what you're gonna notice. So patriotism in 1998, 70% of people were like, that's a big deal, that's awesome. 2023, 38%. Religion, 1998, 62%. 2023, 39%. Having children, bottom left, 59% of people said very important. 2023, 30% of people. Community involvement, 1998, 47% down to 27%. There was only one value that markedly increased, and it was how important is having lots of money to you over the course of 25 years went from 31% to 43%. Now, keep that up there, and I want you guys to realize what's happening. This is what I might call the rise of the religion of self. This is what's happened is that increasingly, as, here's what happens. When you stop believing in a power greater than yourself, an authority higher than yourself, gradually as a nation or a culture secularizes, when you stop believing in something greater than yourself, well then all of a sudden what happens is self becomes the greatest thing that there is. This is why, notice this, the four values on this chart that would call a person to live for something greater than themselves all markedly plummeted. 
the one value that gives people the, ab- the ability to do two things. Listen close. Self-fulfill and self-express. Self-fulfill and self-express. The one value that gives people the ability to self-fulfill and self-express money is the one that increased. Now you can take that down. Here's what this is. If you want a really fun Googleable term later to like nerd out on, this is a religion, it's, a, it's like a secular religion, what we might call expressive individualism. I told you we're going college professor, hang out with me for three minutes. Expressive individualism. Here's what expressive individualism says. It says that the way to be happy in life, in other words, the definition of the good life is accomplished in two ways. Self-fulfillment and self-expression. In other words, the way to be happy, watch this, the way to be happy is not to live for something greater than yourself that requires things like self-control, self-sacrifice, deny yourself and follow me. The way to be happy isn't to live for something greater than you outside of you. Now in expressive individualism, the way to be happy isn't to look outside of you, it's to look inside of you to find your desires and feelings and to be able to express and fulfill them without any external restraints. That is the functional secular religion of America that caused four things to decrease, one thing to increase. Now, think about this. If that is more and more people's definition of the good life, the ability to fulfill my desires and express my inner feelings and desires, that's how how I'm happy, well, then think about it. Then Christianity comes along and has a declaration that Jesus is Lord, That is as controversial today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is Lord. And then Christianity comes along and says, actually, there is something greater than you, higher than you, outside of you, and that the lordship of Jesus lays claim to how you spend your money, how you use your sexuality, how you identify yourself, your activity in this life. Well, if you believe, just track with me, think about the logic. If you believe that the way to ultimately be happy is to fulfill your desires and express your feelings, then any external constraint that comes along will be labeled one of two things. Repressive if you apply it to yourself and oppressive if you try to apply it to somebody else. So that's number one. Now, I've got a logical train going. Stay with me. That's number one, the rise of the religion of self. Number two, because of the rise of the religion of self, what you're seeing is now the privatization of faith. Now, I hate to, I don't, and I don't want anybody to cheer or boo or anything like that. Like, just kind of track with me right here. I hate to use something as controversial as this, but it's the best analogy I can give. One major presidential candidate was asked in a debate what he thought about abortion. And this was his response. He said, personally, as a Catholic, I'm opposed to abortion, but publicly, I think women have the right to choose. Now, think about this. If everybody's entitled to their own opinions, but if you're a Catholic, you're also entitled to the Pope's opinion, okay? But see, what happened in this situation is that is kind of the functional way, the only way that faith is allowed in a secular society is if it's totally privatized. It kind of sounds like this. Listen, man, you can believe, think, and do whatever you want as long as you keep it to yourself and don't try to impose it on anybody else. Now, if that presidential candidate had tried to take his personal faith conviction as stated and apply it out into the nation, he would have been accused of, quote, legislating morality. Now, I just wanna say this. You can't legislate morality. We're gonna get through this later in Jesus and Politics. Listen to me, guys. Morality is all that is ever legislated. 
you don't legislate anything except morality. Every law that has ever been put on the books legislates a morality. And listen to me, the question is not, is morality going to get legislated? The question is, whose morality is going to get legislated? So you see, watch this. The, now you can clap now. We're done past that. Okay. Now, that, that's the, so it's the, the, you're seeing this is the privatization of faith. Now, I just want to say this. This is, again, one of these things that came from John Tyson, insightful. What secularism does is in the same way that Christians walk around casting demons out of people so they can walk in freedom, what secularism does, it does reverse exorcism. Secularism walks around, and wherever it finds God, it says, come out in humanity's name. It's the privatization of faith. Now, number three, this is the last thing, is once you do rise of the religion of self and the privatization of faith, the last thing you get is to demonization of the faithful. Now, I need to explain this really quick. Because we are supernatural beings created in the image of God, whenever we stop believing in God or supernatural things, we can't get rid of our supernatural impulses because that's how we're created. So what we do is we take supernatural impulses and we start to apply them to natural things. Here's what I mean. When we, believe, we have a belief in God and the lordship of Jesus, we always have to set like a dividing line between good and evil. When we believe that God exists and the story of the scriptures, what we believe is the dividing line between good and evil, it's a horizontal dividing line between heaven and earth that everyone everywhere is tainted by sin and like the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The only good person ever was Jesus and we're the bad people who need saving from Jesus. So it's a horizontal dividing line between good and evil. But when you stop believing in anything above us, you still have to be able to explain the origins of evil. So what you do is, instead of having a horizontal dividing line between good and evil, is you flip it and you make it a vertical dividing line. So now the dividing line isn't between heaven and earth, it's between us and them. It's between, watch this, left and right. It's between religious and irreligious. And in the same way that, think about this again, in the Bible, you can't reason with a demon, the only thing you can do is cast it out, in a secular society, cancel culture is secular exorcism. Is you are bad, the only thing we can do with you religious people is to cast you out, to dox you, fire you, deplatform you, or cancel you. So you see, all three of these things are, is this a very encouraging sermon right now? Y'all are like super encouraged, very encouraged right now? All three of these things are leading to this spot where if you just want to summarize all these things, is you kind of go this. It, it leads to this increasing feeling that Christians are dangerous, oppressive, and need to be silenced. Now, can I just say this? We should not be surprised. Do you know why we should not be surprised? Because we literally have a verse that says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Like this was like literally a promise that Jesus gave. In fact, I just want to like rapid fire some of these things. By the way, here's what I'm doing. The title, I do, I title every sermon point. The title of this sermon point is Expect Controversy. That's what I'm trying to get into your spirit right now. Expect, let me just read a couple Bible verses. Uh, this is, let me read this. Let's just go ahead and do this next one. This is Luke 12. Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division, division, two visions. He's saying, you, my followers are gonna have a different vision from the world. They got a vision, you got a vision. That's two visions, division. 
from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. He said they will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. That happens naturally, but Jesus predicted it. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You got to get a little humor in here. You're seeing this. Now, so you just see this theme. I'll give you one more. Um, I became a Christian. Uh, Jesus saved me when I, I, think, I think I was probably 16, might have been eight. I don't know, 16. It was like more dimmer switch than a light switch for me. When I was 16, my youth pastor, Jeff Carlisle, I get saved. I want to be discipled. And I'm like, Jeff, disciple me, bro. Disciple me. I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. First love, white, hot, following Jesus. I want you guys, Josh, we're going to memorize scripture together. You're going to memorize some of the promises of God. I'm like, Jeff, I'm in, I'm in. I was like, okay, man, what are we going to memorize? Romans 8, you know, maybe he's going to have me do the nothing shall separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, death, life, angels, demons, all that stuff. No, that wasn't it. Maybe he's going to have me memorize Jeremiah 31, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to keep you, you know, not to harm you, all this stuff. Maybe that's going to be it. No, no, that wasn't it. Maybe it's going to be the psalm. Surely I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's going to be a great promise. Here's what Jeff did. This was the verse. He said, memorize this verse, Josh. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The first verse I ever memorized is a brand new Christian. Now, will you say the first word out loud with me? The first word is? Now, can I ask you this question? Answer this out loud. Are you in everyone? Yeah, you are. This promise applies to you. This is everybody. Let me just do one more. This is James 4.4. 4. Watch this. He says, you adulterous people. In other words, he's saying, you're supposed to have intimacy with one person and you're having it with another. Now, what's he talking about? He shows us. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Like, are y'all seeing this theme? Expect controversy. In fact, can I just like, let me like lean in. I have, there's good news coming, I promise, but I gotta, can I just like lean in? If you do not learn to expect controversy and you spend your entire life trying to follow Jesus without controversy, here's what your entire life is gonna look like. Your entire life's gonna look like this. You're gonna walk around and non-verbally, you're gonna be saying, do you like me? Do they like me? Do they like me? Do you like me? Do you like, do they like me? Do you like me? Do you, do you like my hair? I don't have to have my hair like, I'm getting a little gray over here. I can get the little Rogaine gray out. What do I get? Do you like me? Do you like me? I can cut it different. I can make it big. I can, do you like me? Do you like me? What about my jeans? Do you like my jeans? My jeans, do you like, they can be big. They can be small. The pastor does the skinny jeans. It's really weird. What do you, do you want the, that's not, the kids aren't doing that anymore. Do you like me? I can do something else. I can do, what about my boots? Do you like my boots? I can do the, I can do the tall boots, the short boots, the brown boots, the black boots. Do you like me? Do you like those boots? What about my Instagram post? You didn't like my Instagram post. What about why didn't you like? I liked your post, but you didn't like my post. Do you not like me? I shared your thing, but you didn't reshare my thing. What's going on? Do you like me? Do you like? I worked really hard on the caption. Did you see the caption? It worked really hard on the thing. It was really, do you like me? Do you like that? Do you like that? What about this? I texted you. Why haven't you texted me? I texted you seven minutes ago. There were bubbles. There are no bubbles anymore. Where did the bubbles go? Do you like me? I don't know what happened. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you, oh wait, oh, oh, do, you, do you like that I follow Jesus? Do, do you like that I have this conviction? Well, you don't like that I have that conviction? Well, I'll just have a different conviction or I'll never share my conviction out loud or I'll never apply my conviction to anybody else. I don't have to. You don't like that I'm a Christian all the time? Well, I can just be kind of a Christian some of the time. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? And then all of a sudden, what you realize is that you have friendship with the world, but you have gained enmity with God. That will happen to you, friends. See, this, listen to me, listen to me. You can't please everybody. 
You can't. You can't please everybody, but listen, you can please God. You can please God. You can't please everybody, but you can please God. And listen, if you try to please everybody, you will not please God because to have friendship with the world is to have enmity with God. Now, track with me. I also just need to give a quick caveat here before I move on. Listen, to follow Jesus is to invite controversy. In fact, can I just ask you, if there is no controversy in your life, which parts of Jesus have you clipped out? You need to ask yourself that question. Now, caveat, okay? Following Jesus will always lead to controversy, but not all controversy means that you are following Jesus. There are some people who commit forms of controversy in the name of Christ, and actually what they're doing is utterly despicable to Christ. So are you, are you catching this? Following Jesus always leads to controversy. Not all controversy means that you're following Jesus. You know, years ago, there was a, I heard this story about a, a student that was writing a, a book report. And the, the, the teacher that wasn't a believer told the student they could write the book report on any book that they wanted. The student was a Christian. And so the student was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to write my book report on Jonah. It's going to be awesome. I'll write on Jonah. And so the, the student writes the book report, turns it in, and the unbelieving you know, teacher kind of sneers and is like, you know, do you realize the story of Jonah is not real? And they're like, well, yes, it is. He says, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's Finally, the professor just kind of goes, well, if it's real, how in the world could Jonah live for three days in the belly of a fish? And the student said, well, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And then the, the, the professor just kind of said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? To which the student responded, then you ask him. You know, <laughs> now listen. You see that? Now listen, okay? We laugh, but there is a way to be controversial that is actually, there's a way to be controversial in the name of Jesus that's actually nothing like Jesus. And some Christians commit controversy in the name of Jesus that is despicable to Jesus. So how are we gonna navigate this, Lake Point Church? How are we gonna navigate this? Here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it like Jesus. We're gonna do it with grace and with truth at the same time. That's how we're gonna do it. Now, I just want you to see this. This is John chapter eight. I just wanna read it to you and point some things out. This is a very straightforward message. It says this, as it is, Jesus says this, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. You know, if there is anything inside of you that's like, man, if I was just like Jesus, everybody would love me. You worship a guy that got crucified. Okay, just let that sink in. A man who has told you the what? You tell me. A man who has told you the truth, that's it that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And they're like, oh, well, who, what father are you talking about? They, you know, they're, they're doing this thing. Actually, hang on. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> We're on the wrong verse. I'm gonna read you the right verse right now because this is really important. <laughs> this is John chapter one. <laughs> Track wave, here we go. John chapter one. He came to, the, I'll get there. It's gonna be great. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now watch this. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. I want you to say the yellow words out loud. Who came from the father full of grace and both grace and truth. Grace and truth. Unconditional grace uncompromising truth. Unconditional grace, uncompromising truth. Now, let me just apply this pastorally. Like, let, let me kind of lean in as your pastor for a second. 
depending on your personality type and your spiritual gifting, you are gonna find that you personally naturally lean more towards either grace or towards truth. Now, first, let me talk to our truth people, all right, truth people. If you're like more like, you're like an Enneagram 8, you power up in conflict, you got like a prophetic gifting, you're justice-oriented, you love it when the bad guys get caught and punished. In Jesus' name, amen, you love it so much. Uh, you're the one, you like, you took the Myers-Briggs and your personality type came back J-E-R-K. It's like, this is like just who you are. You love truth. You want to tell everybody the truth. But here's what happens. If you're not careful, life starts turning into whack-a-mole. Every lie becomes a nail and I'm going to set the record straight. You like walk into every room and you're like, I came to eat popsicles and beat up sinners and I'm out of popsicles. You know, it's like, that's your whole thing. You kind of got that that mentality, that thing on you. Now here, the problem is if you're not careful, you can end up hammering people who God loves. That's the danger. Now, grace people, can I talk to you? You're not our Enneagram 8s, you're our Enneagram 9s. You're all peacekeepers. There you are, I see you. That's it, man. You're like mercy people. You're like super pastoral, caring, nurturing. You love grace. You see broken people everywhere. Your heart goes out with compassion. You get teary-eyed during animal rescue commercials. You are this person, you know. You just love everybody. Watch this. But if you're not careful, you can let people take advantage of you. And when it comes time to speak the truth, you'll stay silent to preserve the relationship. And in your effort to preserve the relationship, you will hurt the person by withholding the truth that they really need. Now listen, here's what happens. All the grace people look at the truth people and they're like, you're mean, you're unloving, you're unkind. All the truth people look at the grace people and they're like, you're wishy-washy, you're soft, you're weak, you're compromising, you stand for nothing. And here's what we need. And honestly, guys, what we need is we need grace. Watch this. We need grace and we need truth. We need, watch this, we need unconditional grace and we need uncompromising truth. This is the tension that we are called to live in. Listen, I want, to, I want this to sink in. Unconditional grace, uncompromising truth. Unconditional grace, uncompromising truth. Jesus grace, Jesus truth. Now watch this. Here's what, this is a tension. That will create tension in your life. Here's what some people will do. If we offer people all grace and no truth, it's like I'm gonna, I'll try to let one go. Man, what's gonna happen is like, man, we just affirm everybody. We never call sin, sin. We won't say anything hard, everything like that. What happens is, man, I actually let one side of the rubber band go. I'm not gonna shoot you, I promise. But I let one side of the rubber band go and actually I end up wounding you because I withheld from you the truth you needed. And guys, truth is what sets us free. But watch this, on the other side, man, if I'm all truth and no grace, then I do not deliver the truth like my Jesus delivered the truth who accepted everybody that came into his path. Y'all, Lake Point Church, we're gonna be this. We're gonna be unconditional grace. We're gonna be uncompromising truth. We, Lake Point Church, are gonna live in that tension. Jesus grace, Jesus truth, we are here to do that. That's our thing, man. Grace and truth. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Now, I wanna like try to like, I, I, so I wanna give you a picture. Like, okay, Joe, so what does that look like, okay? One of my favorite stories of a public, this is like a non-pastor, I like non-pastor stories, you know, as illustrations. One of my favorite stories of a public Christian demonstrating grace and truth that happened in 2013. Do you guys remember 2013? Y'all don't remember. 2013, everybody else. 2013, do you guys remember it was like a, people found out that Chick-fil-A had donated 
to some, um, some charities that were upholding a biblical definition of marriage. You remember this? And pe- like America lost their ever-loving minds. And so like all in one weekend, everybody organized like a protest of Chick-fil-A. And then all the, you know, the people on the other side, they organized like a protest against the protest. And it ended up being like the, the highest sales day in the history of Chick-fil-A. That happened like in one week. That's for real, a true story. That happened like one weekend, Okay. Well, here's what a lot of people never heard about that story. The owner of Chick-fil-A and founder is a guy named Dan Cathy. Dan Cathy, uh, he didn't affirm or join into the protest. Instead, he privately behind the scenes, he reached out to one of the organizers of the protest, a man named Shane Windemeyer, who is an LGBT rights activist and a a, a passionate one. And Shane Windemeyer and Dan Cathy began these private, personal, vulnerable conversations, and they actually developed, ended up developing a very close relationship. In fact, this picture is a picture of Dan Cathy hosting Shane Windemeyer into his private box at the Chick-fil-A Bowl that year. After all this happened, Shane Windemeyer, again, gay rights activist, he wrote an article in the Huffington Post entitled, Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. Shane, I'm going to read it to you at length, and so I'm going to give you the quote on screen. This is what he said in this article. He said, It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. We see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for campus pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns. He sought first to understand and not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. Watch this. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Grace. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A. But watch this. He offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. Unconditional grace, uncompromising truth. Now, can I just lean in? I just want to speak to you in a bold, straightforward way. I want the spirit of Christ to overtake you in this beautiful tension. Some of you, you lack truth and courage. You are malformed. You are not yet formed into the image of Jesus and you lack faith and courage and you won't say or do anything that might compromise a relationship or make you publicly unpopular. And can I say something to you? You are avoiding controversy instead of following Jesus who was so controversial he was crucified. Remember what Jesus said. He said, whoever is ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of before my father in heaven. It's time to grow some courage and conviction. Friends, now on the other hand, some of you, you lack grace and you are using or you have used your Christian convictions as an excuse to mistreat, ostracize, or avoid the very sinners that your Lord died to save. You, you are teaching the doctrines of Christ with the spirits of Pharisees and that is not Christ at all. It's the devil dressed up in Jesus' clothes. You, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Man, can I just say this? Like, if you're like newer to Lake Point, and like you're already hearing like some things I'm gonna teach, and you're like, bro, you can't say that. Like, ah, you can't do that. Listen, we are a church that is going to preach the truth of the Bible regardless of its public opinion. We are always going to do that. You just gotta know that, man. I will, listen, I will do that until I get shot. But listen to me, listen. If you're like new to Lake Point and you're like around your campus right now looking around and you're seeing like low cut tops and it's too tight and it's too low and it's too thin, or like this guy's got this going on or he's smoking that or she smells like that, this church a little too grimy for you, can I say something to you? Man, this is not a country club for awesome people, this is a hospital for sick people. This is like, this, that's the, Jesus came for the mess, man. Like, that's the whole reason we do this thing. So like, grace and truth. Now, nobody embodied this better than Jesus. Let me just land a plane right here, John chapter eight, man. Nobody embodied this better than Jesus. Do you remember the one time, it's like my favorite Jesus story, where all these like religious people, they grab this, the, in your Bible, the heading says, the woman caught in adultery. Terrible title. Terrible title. I'll tell you why in a second. And these Pharisees, they grab this woman who got caught committing adultery. They drag her out publicly, put her in front of, G- in front of Jesus, and they go, Jesus, the Old Testament, they didn't say that. That's my 21st century translation. The Old Testament says, we've got to stone this woman to death. What do you say? And the Bible says that they were trying to trap Jesus because if Jesus said, yeah, yeah, let's stone her, he would lose popularity with all the sinners. But if he said, no, let's not, they would accuse him of not caring about the Bible. So they were like, we got him, ha, ha. Side note, you never got Jesus. You ain't never got Jesus. And so Jesus, here's what he does. Is he, he, here's what he does. He just bends down, the Bible says, and he starts with his finger writing in the sand. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote in the sand, but I have a really good guess, and here's why. Before this happens, Jesus told people in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, whatever measure you use is gonna be measured back to you. So I think what Jesus was doing is he was writing the names of the women that those men had committed adultery with in the sand. So he was going like, Sally, (laughs) Sarah, just looking at them. And then the Bible says, it says this, it says one by one they dropped their stones and beginning with the older and down to the younger, they began to leave. And then Jesus said this, he said, woman, is there no one left to condemn you? And she looked around, there was nobody left. And here was Jesus' point. He was saying, woman, everyone who would condemn you can't. And by the way, Jesus was without sin, so he could have cast a stone. So he was saying, woman, everyone who would condemn you can't, and the only one who could condemn you won't. And then he said, go and leave your life of sin, you're forgiven. Y'all, that's right, man. Unconditional grace, uncompromising truth. And man, some of you guys, like, let me just say it like right now, you are coming under conviction that the uncompromising truth of Jesus, it condemns you in your sin. Listen, sin deserves death, truth, and Jesus came to take your place and die for your sin, grace. So I wanna pray that you would lean yourself into that and give yourself to the risen Christ. So would you do that with me? And Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that even right now, that like a clear and open statement of the truth 
would be softening hearts, convicting people, drawing sinners to the Lord who loves and forgives sinners and casts away our sin. And so, Father, I pray, one, that you would save sinners. I pray that you do it right now. But two, Father, I pray that you would raise up an army of resilient disciples at Lake Point Church who embody the simultaneous, uncompromising truth of Jesus and unconditional grace of Jesus so that we can shine like stars in the darkness in this increasingly dark world. Father, would you do it? Make us bold, courageous, and tender and loving. Plant it in us by the indwelling power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' crucified and risen name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.